0: Hey, did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention. It's June 10th through 11th, brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies. I checked. Ben Benny's bongs did not make it on the list. <laughs> Sorry, maybe next year. Companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N dot com slash Illinois for information and to register. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 27th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more. Including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. ChicagoReader, chicagoreader ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky j-o-r-a v is in victory s-k-y oh wrong button oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the right one uh. <laughs> it is wednesday april 27th what's so funny <laughs> the wrong button <laughs> <laughs> And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson and making another return, Mr. Lee Allen Jones. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Yeah,
1: hello, everybody. Ben here. We're calling this Burke Map Wednesday, and here's why. Because the Chicago City Council <laughs> is struggling over which ward map to uh, approve. That's why. All right, folks. I have to say, I've been distracted uh, from Chicago politics. I have been distracted from Chicago politics. And for so many years of my life, I've been obsessed with Chicago politics. I study it. I follow it. I watch it. Great detail. Know more about it than anyone should, should really even be allowed to know. But for someone who's never been in, I'm like, I've never run for office. I've never served in office. I've never been in a behind closed doors meeting. I don't know what they really say. You know, the meeting behind the meeting as Ricky Hennon once said, remember Ricky Hendon said, there's always the meeting before the meeting before the meeting. It was a great line from Ricky Hendon, State Senator Ricky Hennon was also an Alderman, by the way, uh, as Dennis knows. Anyway, uh, so as I've never, I- I've just watched, I've just always been on my perch watching the antics of Chicago. And as the world goes more and more insane, okay? As we edge toward destruction, we're literally destroying the world as we know it. As we edge toward destruction, Chicago politics doesn't seem as, what, dangerous? I don't know, as, as uh, like, lo- life-threatening or as, as it used to be. It's almost more like an entertainment, you know? I mean, it just in relative terms, ladies and gentlemen, like the Republican Party had dedicated themselves to the overthrow of the government. Donald Trump was on the phone with electors, with electoral judges and officials in Georgia and Michigan telling them to throw out democratic votes. And apparently the country doesn't care about that. Doesn't care about that's all right. It's just black voters. What do we care? It's like the Republicans will allow what? Uh, Candace Owens gets to vote. Herschel Walker gets to vote. And then like a million other just regular black people, they don't get to vote. And so that's what was going on. Donald Trump was doing it. No one cares. Republicans are all set to get reelected to are their offices, going to take back the Senate. Monroe Anderson is going to vehemently disagree with me, and ladies and gentlemen, but it's a reality. So it's like madness out in the rest of the world, but here in Chicago, just typical Chicago antics brings me to the ward map. May 3rd, be there. First Tuesdays, Maya and I will be uh, hosting uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa and uh, Rod Sorber we discussing all things ward map. But I'm watching this dueling ward map battle going on between, you know, the uh, Latino caucus map and the black caucus map. Uh, and uh, the future of Chicago politics is, is is really up in the air right now in terms of who your alderman is. What ward you live in? You know, who do you call when you need garbage collected. Anyway, it's up in the air. They're having debates and they're all talking about it. And they each have figured out, each side has figured out. This is classic. that the best way to undercut the other side is to link their map with an unpopular political figure. And so the two unpopular political figures that they've linked these maps to are Ed Burke and Michael Madigan. They're really doubling down on Ed Burke. And let me just say this, ladies and gentlemen. This is the same Ed Burke who for years and years and years ran the Finance Committee was put there by powerful mayors. They, you, the people, voted. Mayor Rahm Emanuel put Ed Burke on the finance committee. Remember they had a little fight? Ed Burke didn't endorse Rahm Emanuel in 2011. You forgot that, Chicago. You always forget stuff, Chicago, when it's inconvenient. You forget that Ed Burke didn't support Rahm. And Rahm immediately embraced Ed Burke. Hug me, man. I think they actually hugged D on the city council floor. Like a little hug. I love you, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Why? You know, Rom just figured, I don't know, this guy passed all this stupid legislation. Sometimes the city of Chicago says, let's come up with a really dumb idea that ma- it's just makes no sense and will cost people money and make life miserable for Chicago. This is the mayor thinking. Mayors will think this. Not Mayor Sawyer, Mayor Washington. Those were the good mayors. I'm talking about the mayors we've had since. So let's come up with a really dumb idea and see if we can get the Chicago City Council to pass it. And then see if the public will go along with it. I think that's what they do because there's no, uh, there, there's no rhyme or reason for the stupid stuff they come up with. So let's just take parking meters. So they get Ed Burke. Hey, Ed, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an asset that's worth $10 billion. We're going to sell it for a billion. You think you get the city council to approve it? Oh, no problem. Thirty-five. What is it? Forty-five. Uh, alderman ride up and vote for it. Richard Mel says, "We well, don't even read it. We don't care. Nobody reads this stuff." Turns out to be a disaster. A ten billion dollar asset sold for a billion dollars. That same Ed Burke, Rom made him finance chair. Kept him as finance chair. I should say why? Because Rom figures anybody. Who- Presidents, it's got to be, I could get them to sign on to what? I don't know, a proclamation turning the lake into a parking lot. Let's propose that. I could see the city council, the pros and the cons, the Chamber of Commerce weighing in. (laughs) Anyway, so that same Ed Burke is finally indicted, and now he's persona non grata in the city of Chicago. The same Ed Burke that all those mayors you voted for, Chicago, all your little mayors, Daley and Rom, the same Ed Burke who is their tool, is suddenly the bad guy. And so each faction in this struggle over the ward map is using Ed Burke. They're linking Ed Burke. They're saying the other side is benefiting Ed Burke. <laughs> oh, my God. And Chicagoans are now, this is where you're at now, Chicago. Three years ago, you loved Mayor Rom and Ed Burke, but now you don't like them. So now, okay, he's bad. That's funny. You kept reelecting him, essentially, his finance chair by reelecting Mayor Daley and uh, Rama May. I'm just telling you, Chicagoans, you're a welcome diversion from the utter insanity of the rest of the world because, I don't know, maybe you're, it doesn't seem as destructive. You know, you're only destroying your city as opposed to the entire world. All right, enough of that. I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest, the legendary journalist, Monroe Anderson, every Wednesday he appears in the show. Lee Allen Jones will join us later. I love bringing Lee Allen on with Monroe. Lee Allen is of the Green Party persuasion. Uh, Monroe is more of a, uh, well, he gets mad at me when I call him a centrist, so I'm going to call him a progressive. How about that, Monroe? Uh, And uh, we'll have the great debates of the issues of Elon Musk, capitalism, uh, social inequities, etc. But Monroe, while I got you here,
2: call um, me anything, but don't call me late to lunch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> By the way, did you have a nice lunch? That's what counts. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna do a, a little plug for Monroe is making an appearance tonight. It'll be at the hideout for the trivia show. They're gonna do a special trivia show uh, on Harold Washington, uh, and also tonight. Uh, I will be I think it's tonight Monroe the White House correspondent dinner neither Monroe nor I nor Dennis nor Lee Allen for that matter were invited uh and that is this annual it, don't you have to wear like it's a formal you have to wear a nice suit and everything so of course I wouldn't get it go uh and you
2: also have to be in Washington
1: yes yeah, that's true <laughs> <laughs> so they're gonna pack uh a Banquet room with 2,000 people, and I don't think anybody will be wearing a mask since Monroe, uh, myself, and Joyce Owens, Monroe's uh, wife, and my wife, are the only people in America still wearing masks uh, when we go out. Uh, I think it's utter madness what they're about to do, call it super spreader event. But, you know, Monroe, the country has clearly turned a page. With yes,
2: some, some of the carjackers are wearing masks.
1: <laughs> well, that's because they don't want their face seen. <laughs> By the way, I had this one dude on the airplane. Oh my god, I didn't tell you about this. So when I when my we flew to Los Angeles, the mask mandate was still in place. When we returned, it was gone. Okay, but so when we got on the plane, there was a guy wearing a ski mask. Um, and it had I'm not, I kid you not, Monroe, a hole where the mouth goes. You know, right. <laughs> I'm like dude. That's- <laughs> Uh, that, that doesn't
2: work. Uh, it's amazing how many people don't quite understand the mechanics <laughs> of, a, of a mask and how to wear to keep the virus away.
1: Look, <laughs> I had a Zorro mask on. <laughs> dude, that, no, just because your eyes, well, that, that was a joke dude. no one wore the Zorro mask. Uh, so anyway, Dr. Fauci will not be going to that white house correspondent, uh, uh, dinner, uh, Monroe tonight. If it's good for Dr. Fauci, it's good for me, but you will be going to the hideout. And, and,
2: correct? And Dr. Burke won't be going either.
1: Yes. Uh, will be, will you be, uh, but you'll be going at the hideout. You're not concerned about that. Correct.
2: I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned.
1: Well, you'll be fine. Just wear the mask going in. Uh, check out the scene. If <laughs> you hear anybody coughing, like I was on the plane the other day, Monroe, there yeah. was this guy literally like hacking up like he was a two-pack-a-day smoker. And i yeah. like, oh, my God, great. Really glad we got rid of the mask. Yeah. And, and by the way, my I'm telling you right now, I'm a total convert. It's beyond COVID with me. Like, I don't want that guy coughing on me, okay? You know what I'm saying, you Monroe? <laughs>
2: As a general rule, I As never did I had, have any appreciation for people calling on me, even back in the old fashioned days of the common cold.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's take a Trump dive. We haven't done that in a while. I'm obsessively following this case out of New York, find this very interesting. And so let me just uh, sum, it, uh, sum it all up. Uh, New York Judge Arthur uh, N. Gorin. Uh, in the trial, uh, the civil fraud trial that uh, the Attorney General uh, James from New York has filed against Donald Trump uh, and his operation uh, has ordered Trump in contempt and will fine him $10,000 a day for failing to comply with the subpoena and turnover documents. Uh, and James hailed uh, this. Today's ruling makes clear no one is above the law. And Monroe, I'm going to take exception with that and get your response. Donald Trump is clearly above the law. This guy's been thumbing his nose at this judge, at this court, at the attorney general for months. Even now, after he's been uh, hit with a fine, as far as I understand, the the fine is not being collected. I don't know how you can hit with a a fine and not have to pay the fine, but apparently Donald Trump does. Monroe, I believe that Donald Trump is proving that he, Donald Trump, is greater than the law, is above the law, because he never seems to be held accountable for anything he does. Do you agree with me, yes or no?
2: Uh, no, he, he he's going down this time. The, lo- the long arm of the law has him by the collar, and they're tugging at him. They haven't dragged him into the squad car or anything yet, but, but he he's he's going down. And, and the reason it's taking this long, well, first of all, he is the greatest tactician there, there is in stalling different different ways but they also what they're doing is when you go for the king you have to kill him because anything less than that i mean if, if they were to take trump to trial and they didn't have all the to all the t's and died to all the i's and he beat the case he would be running on that for president alone. He wouldn't even need any of this other all the big lies that he's been telling. He just used that to to prove that the government which which used to be the um what were they calling it? The the um underground I wasn't underground. I can't remember what they used to call it. But it was it was the government that was out to get him. Mm. All these people God, which, Oh the
1: deep state.
2: The deep state, yeah, the deep state government. Yeah. Uh, If they were calling it that then, now they're calling it something else. But he, they they have so many ways to nail him. And all this stuff that's coming out um, from from this, uh, about the Republicans all knowing about January sixth and and talking in the quiet room about it yeah and unfortunately for them somebody had a wire I mean it was working we had a cell phone
1: we'll get to that but I'll yeah. just uh f- conclude this discussion what's going on in new york this what's going on in new york ladies and gentlemen if you haven't been following it it's not related uh to uh, the federal government uh the deep state if you will uh it's not related to uh, what donald trump did to try to steal the election uh, from joe biden it's not related to what donald trump did to try to throw out the votes of black voters in detroit or philadelphia or atlanta or at any uh, swing state where there was a large number of black voters. Apparently the Republican Party, Monroe, as I said earlier, only thinks that Herschel Walker and Candace Owens, Candace Owens and Herschel Walker are the only uh, two black people in America whose vote gets to count. So it has nothing to do uh, with that effort which is astoundingly illegal uh, on the f- face of it this has to do uh, with a civil matter having to uh, dealing with the way Trump runs his operation and essentially they're accusing Trump of inflating the value of assets he owns of real estate he owns while seeking loans like when he's borrowing against it and seeking insurance coverage and then deflating them when it comes to reducing the liability for taxes so if he has a piece of property that he claims is worth a hundred when he's trying to borrow against it. Uh, He'll take that same piece of property uh, and say it's worth only $50 when he has to pay taxes on it. That, my friends, is called fraud. (laughs) Last I heard. And uh, you would think that the bankers who got screwed by Trump and uh, all the other property taxpayers in New York City who are getting screwed by Trump because the less he pays in taxes, the more they pay, would be outraged by it. But apparently the Republican ones aren't. Uh, so that is the issue before uh, the judge in New York, Monroe. And I I hear what you're saying, that they're encroaching him, but it just seems that at the very least, this shows the huge double standard oh, between the way sure. Donald Trump is treated and any ordinary citizen go.
2: Right. No, for sure it showed the double standard. Uh, if um, Pookie from the South side, and, and been caught stealing a case of beer, he'd be in jail right now. In, in fact, have you seen this, this series 61st Street? Have you seen any of that? No. Oh man, it's uh, it's really good. I mean, it's it's depressingly good because it's so realistic. The, the, the whole setup is a, uh, a a high school kid from the South Side who is on a track team and a star and is basically more than likely going to go to college, get a scholarship. He he happens to be walking through a neighborhood when the cops do a re- raid, and of course anybody, any young black kid that's on the street at the time gets gets herded into it. Um, he runs. A cop is chasing him down. And corners him in a lot. And he keeps telling him he didn't do anything. He just was passing by there. The cop's trying to arrest him because it's a gang. It's a street gang that was hanging there. He tries to run past the cop. Bumps into him. The cop's trying to stop him. The cop falls backward and falls on a pipe that's sticking out the ground. And dies. He's dead. And so they they know that they've been looking for the guy. He he gets arrested. And it, it just shows, that, and it's really good at showing the police mentality and the other side, you know, the, the black folks mentality. But it's really good, and it's, it's, it shows the corruption because the cops just decide this is the guy. And and it's more complicated because the cop who got killed was wearing a wire, and so he has information on some 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 um, corruption going on in the police department. They have a connection with the street gang, so it's and it's it's only four 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 series in episodes in right now. So that's all I, I know, but it's,
1: I mean, it's, it's really depressing. It does sound awfully depressing, it but
2: does because it's so <clears throat> realistic. I mean, it's like, you know, it's none of this Hollywood sweet stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and what it reveals, uh, is just how exposed you are, uh, to unfair prosecution. Uh, if you don't have money and if you don't right. have connections and it's right. so obvious right. and this, I got to tell you Monroe, uh, I've been feeling the insanity of the world a lot today, okay? I talked about that at the outset. But one of the things I find so frustrating uh, on, on one level and also find it uh, on, on some levels darkly funny is the fact that MAGA uh, is, is so enraged by the notion of liberty you know, this inflames them. They have this notion, a sense of liberty, right. and they they talk in grand terms about standing for liberty. And yet, what you're talking about—the day-to-day lack of liberty right. that ordinary or poor uh, residents throughout the country, not just in Chicago, uh, are facing—the the the lack of protection they have when they come in contact with authorities. Is staggering. That's where the loss of liberty is. But all you see MAGA do is saying, "Be harsher." Yes, with the with this group. Do you right. follow me, Monroe? Be tougher. Take away right. more of their rights. Right,
2: right. No, it's it's um, it it has much to do with white supremacy and white privilege. This is what they mean. But when they talk about freedoms, they, in their freedom to continue to benefit from being white and nobody else's freedom to do anything as far as they're concerned.
1: And in the case of Donald Trump in New York, let's be quite specific what he's his freedom to do his freedom to allegedly say the building's worth a hundred dollars when he wants to maximize its benefits and worth $50 $50 when he wants to minimize his tax liability. Right. He has a constitutionally protected right to do that. Right. That That's the freedom. And Mag is nodding its head. Oh, sounds good to me. <laughs> Monroe.
2: The reason Mario Cuomo did not run for president because he was very popular and more than likely could have been elected. Uh, But the reason he didn't run is because he had worked in, his money was made in New York real estate. And just by definition, the way New York real estate rolls, he, he would have done some questionable, legally questionable things. And so he chose not to run for that reason.
1: Um, Mario Cuomo, of course, the uh, father of Andrew Cuomo, who was the recently deposed, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, governor of uh, New York. Mario was the governor in the 80s uh, and. was a participant in one of the greatest debates, Monroe, I know I'm on a tangent here, I've ever heard, I was in a car driving uh, throughout, I think I was going through the state of Connecticut, I was listening to a live gubernatorial debate between former Mayor Ed Koch, a name though everybody's forgotten of New York City, and Mario Cuomo Uh, they were running for the Democratic nomination to be governor of New York, to run for governor of New York it was pound for pound, the greatest debate I've ever heard, two brilliant minds, quick, quick Quick on their feet going at it, Monroe. Okay. You know, I mean, the world has regressed, Monroe. I know I sound like an old baby boomer in my attic talking to Republicans.
2: The Republicans have regressed. Just let's go to Georgia for one minute. Okay. You look at the two Georgia senators now and look at the people who are vying for their jobs, and there is no contest (laughs) if you just do it that way. One one pair is quite articulate, quite intelligent.
1: When I say this, I'm thinking about uh, the regression on the Democratic side. I think about the great debate, for instance, in 1983, uh, with Harold Washington on stage. There's nobody in politics today with that command. And I realize when I say this, and I know it, I admit it, I'm just an old baby boomer, and millennials, you will be doing the same if there is a world to do it in in 30 years when you look back, you could do these politicians today are not like the ones of my youth.
2: Yeah, Rom Rah- was much better. Oh.
1: <laughs> Rom, oh, what a joke! How could I'm sorry, folks. I have to say this: Chicago. If that isn't a sign of regression, you had Harold Washington as your mayor, and you followed it up with thirty years of Daly and Rom. Come on, Monroe, make an argument. I got to hear the counterargument for why it, that that does not is evidence exhibit a that of a regression in the standards that we hold in this city. You had the greatest mayor ever in Monroe. I'm Monroe Anderson. I'm looking at your name when I said that in Harold Washington and you follow him up with Daly and Rahm Emanuel. Come on, Monroe. I want to hear you defend the voters of the city of Chicago. Go. (laughs) Done. he can't even Monroe can't defend him (laughs) oh that's disgraceful
2: again this was this was more this was a local version of white supremacy and white privilege they were so upset that this black man had been in office and followed by another black man very briefly that they they went for they, they they went for daily, yeah, and one of the re, the radio reporters, I won't say his name because this is secondhand information is all, but um Grayson Mitchell told me that he said to him, "Well, uh, we got our guy back."
1: yeah, I've heard that too yeah and and, and let me just say this, any city worker who's being honest? who lived through Harold Washington and then lived through Daly, any police officer, any firefighter, anyone will tell you, if, if he or she is being honest, Monroe, oh, yeah, it was much better under Harold because Harold was compassionate toward municipal employees in a way that Daly and Rom were not. And anyone, if they're being honest, Monroe, that's if they're being honest.
2: Well, well let me tell you this story. When, yeah. when Jane Byrne died, they had her funeral at uh, the Catholic Church connected with um, DePaul University. I forget the name of the church.
1: Okay, go ahead. It was on
2: Webster and Sheffield.
1: Okay, okay. Mm -hmm.
2: And there were so many police cars down there that they went from from Webster to Fullerton on both sides of the street, parked. And, they, and I was on my way home and, and stopped into a a, a uh, carry out store and there were a couple of police in there. And I asked him, I said, God, why are there so many policemen here for Burns' funeral? And he says, because we liked James oh Burns. Wow,
1: that's just
2: And I, I said, what you didn't like? You don't like Mayor Robb? <laughs> And he gave me a dirty look, and that was the end of it. He didn't say anything.
1: Well, I I don't listen. I don't blame any city worker. We're on a tangent. I don't blame any city worker uh, for not liking Mayor Rahm. When he walked into office, he had this uh, attitude that uh, he was going to prove to the rest of the country that he was the kind of Democrat that could beat up unions. So the first union he tangled with was the Chicago Teachers Union because he figured uh, it was a, w- a union filled with women, so they'll be easy. To beat, I, mean, I know that's what they're thinking, and uh, I'm, again, I'm not in the back room, but I know, I know this bunch. Okay, Karen Lewis mopped the floor with rum Uh oh, that didn't work. Then he w- he went after also the firefighters. Man, right? he, he was going around telling firefighters, "We're going to take away your pensions." I guess tomorrow, Sam Holloway uh, pushed back on that one and uh, got him to back off. So. Monroe.
2: Yeah. Oh, speaking of firefighters, fi- yeah. firemen, when Harold was uh mayor, he made an Italian, I forget his name, the police, the fire chief. Yeah. And this guy says to me, he says, I can't believe it. He says, I, I'm, 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 I'm the fire chief. Harold Washington made me the
1: fire chief. Oh yeah. <laughs> <You> know,
2: because <laughs> the, the Italians were getting no breaks than the Irish.
1: Yeah, that's an old story. Oh, my God. Our, our old friend Frank Coconati could give us uh, an hour on that one. Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and how many Italian-Americans thanked uh, Monroe, uh, Harold Washington by uh, voting for him uh, in 1987? I wonder. Yeah, all, right. Right. Uh, all right. Before we uh, switch gears, bring uh, uh, Lee Allen on, Monroe, I got to ask you. Uh, about the latest stories coming out uh, about the uh, complicity of uh, Republicans in the Congress with Donald Trump and his attempted theft of the presidential election, total subversion of democracy. I know democracy has its flaws in this country. I understand the power that money has uh, and the power that big tech has. Oh, I know all that. But this was just outright theft. Okay, Donald Trump was on the phone. It was
2: unpatriotic. I mean, this was anti-American completely. You, you, you're talking about their attempted after uh, January
1: six, leading up to January 6th and then and, after no, January, no,
2: uh, before, during, and after. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were t- they were talking. There are now recordings of them talking about how to do it, what what you got to be careful about, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's. You know, if, if there weren't for Fox News, this wouldn't have happened.
1: What do you mean, if
2: Richard? Had 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 we had Richard Nixon had Fox News existed during Watergate, Richard Nixon never would have had to resign because what they do is they they run a, a daily diet of propaganda, which convinces 35, 40% of, of America that um, what's going on is okay. The big lie is the truth.
1: Mm. Well, I, uh, it's, a, it's a frightening thought that, if you follow me on this one, Monroe, that um, it doesn't seem as though the attempted, what do you want to call it? Stealing of the election, the complicity of the Republicans, uh, Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene of Georgia uh, texting that they should impose. uh, Donald Trump should impose martial law uh, to force uh, the to keep him in government, to keep him in the in the White House and to prevent Biden from taking over. It doesn't seem as though that. that reality is going to have a major impact, to put it mildly, in the upcoming elections. And that the upcoming elections, i uh, love to get uh, Lee Allen's uh, leftist viewpoint on this, that the upcoming elections, the Republicans will be rewarded. They tried to steal the presidential election. We have the evidence of it. And the, the voters of the United States of America are going to reward them if all the polls are correct, Monroe, by returning them to power in the Senate and the House.
2: Okay, a couple of things. Okay, first, first of all, we haven't had the hearings, which, which we're going to have live. These people on television lying and with the Democrats running recordings and all kind of proof saying that they're lie, lying and they're doing it. That very well may be the wake-up call for uh, the American voter. But secondly, the polls are are very drastic and bad news. But you had the president of France with ratings about where Bidens are right now. But... Um, Le Pen was so much worse than him that he won by uh, 14 points. And so you can't, it just depends on who the candidate is. And if it's Trump, for sure, uh, Biden will win the presidency. If it's um, uh, DeSantis, which it very well may be, then it may be a little closer because DeSantis is is smarter and slicker than Trump.
1: Hmm. All right. Uh this is a good time uh to bring on Lee Allen Jones, a Green Party candidate for Senate journalist, uh former Uh, a a protege uh, to Monroe Anderson. There are those who will argue that everything Lee Allen Jones, he learned from Monroe Anderson. uh, And um, a little smile creeps over Lee Allen's uh, face as I say that. I love pairing them because uh, Lee Allen is uh, one of my leftier uh, guests in the show, along with Sam Holloway, who will be on tomorrow. Uh, Sam, we'll be we're going to take a real deep dive. Uh, Into Elon Musk and Twitter I'm utterly obsessed with this story But uh, Lee Allen, first of all Welcome back, Cotter, to the show And uh, second of all I need to get your response to what uh, Monroe and I have been talking about I know I'm very close with Monroe On this point, Uh, we feel a great crime Has been done against the country By the Republicans Your thoughts on whether that is a great crime And whether uh, the Republicans Will be punished for perpetrating it Take it away, Lee Allen
3: Uh, Good afternoon. Thanks for having me again. Hello, Monroe. Hello, Ben. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't want to make any predictions. I think we're in a cycle where politics, media, and big tech are in a position to do unprecedented things in this democracy. Um, You know, when you look at Biden's poll numbers, when you look at you, uh, you you wanted to talk about Musk and Twitter. uh, I don't want to make any predictions going to this next election cycle because there's so many things on a global stage and domestically that have voters preoccupied that you could potentially see things, you know, very irrational happen. uh, You know, we're looking for American voter sentiment, looking at what they're faced with.
1: So do you have a sense that uh, American voters do not care about the last election?
3: I think, I think I mentioned to you before about the presidential cycles, about how many things happen uh, within media cycles that, you know, that matter and don't matter. So I think it has to matter for the Democrats to remind America of what happened going into these midterm elections. But there has been so many things that have happened since then that have preoccupied them. The war in Ukraine, the inflation, um, uh, you know, and so politics has been sort of scattered now. So it's like, I don't. I mean, the that's, when you look at just media cycles and politics.
1: Hmm. What do you think, Monroe? Do you think that the American voter is distracted? That's the issue?
2: That's an issue. The inflation is the main issue. I because mean, because I, I am a relatively wealthy man, and I get pissed off when I go to the grocery store because I know what prices. I've been gro- I, I'm a grocery shopper. And I know what prices were, and I see where prices are now, and it's 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 not good. I, I'm not driving much, so I'm not being hit by the gas prices. Although I'm aware of them too, and it's just it's, it's it's up. It's alarming. That's you know, and so and it's easy to to blame it on Biden, although it's not his fault. But somebody's got to pay the piper for, and it's, it could very well be Biden and the Democrats
1: well, you know th- to me then that's I hear what you're saying, and I heard what Lee Allen's saying, yeah. but I feel like I am now watching the Chicagoization of voters in this country uh, and and let me and, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. And I've been because I spent like I started the show by saying this, uh, Monroe uh, and Lee Allen, that I've been following Chicago politics very closely for 40 years. And the typical Chicagoan, their attitude about how their city is run, how corrupt their city is, is I really don't care as long as I get my garbage picked up. OK, so that's why they elect they, dailies and ROMs and put up with the Burks. And all the corruption and the waste and the stupidity and the selling off of their assets for a fraction of what they're worth. That's why they put up with it. As long as they get their garbage collected, that's all they care about. And so it's just so deflating to see if Monroe is saying is true. And I fear that he is. What you're saying is true, Monroe, that you have, if inflation goes up for a whole host of reasons, you want to take a deep dive into the causes of inflation? Go ahead. You just literally have a knee jerk reaction to blame Joe Biden and reelect a party that tried to steal the election by throwing out the votes of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of black people. I find that so depressing, the Chicagoization of the United States of America, where the voters in America are as dumb as the voters in Chicago. Lee Allen Jones, am I being unfair to the voters of Chicago and the voters of America?
3: You're certainly not being unfair. Um, I mean, we live in a, in a... Think about it this way. I thought about this whole uh, Elon Musk thing, and I know we're talking about voting and all of that. But Obama just, what was it, 10 years ago, was the darling of, of using social media to be elected? I mean, talk about the Chicagoization. That the, the technology piece is what pushed Obama over to become the first black president. And now Twitter, which has 322 million users, uh, it, it is now something that democracy uh, that brought, you know, dem- Barack Obama to power. So you're very correct in saying that the, the, the dystopia of voters is very real and that what has happened in Chicago and what we've experienced over the last, you know, 40 years of kleptocracy has now, you know, become a model for the country.
1: Monroe, your thoughts.
2: About uh, Elon?
1: No, uh, we'll get to Elon later, but just uh, is the rest of the country as dumb as Chicago?
2: Uh, I would say that the half of the rest of the country are the Republicans. (laughs) The the Democrats are woke. Yeah. Which is why the Republicans are... (laughs) Are, are are so critical of that term and they, because they're all Rip Van Winkles.
1: <laughs> oh, my Lord. The Repo- what a joke. Don't I give find that me- difficult.
3: But you look at Mayor Lightfoot and you look at a lot of the, um, you know, look at the shooting that just happened in New York a couple of weeks ago. Uh, was it last week, the week before last, with the subway shooter? The perception of crime, the perception of crime uh, in Democratic strongholds across the country are going to, you know, the the Willie Horton this election with crime, and they're going to scare middle America. When you look at carjacking, when you look at violence, when you look at homicides, uh, you know, it's going to be Willie Horton on steroids going into the primary cycle and definitely going into November uh, to scare middle-class white voters. And, you know, what was the term? Soccer moms? If the Republicans... With inflation and with fear on crime... That doesn't matter how well Democrats are. The perception is, is to reality. People are feeling poor and people are feeling unsafe. And so if Democrats don't have a remedy for that, other than, you know, platitudes, they may have several election cycles that they suffer from this on in terms of being able to be in a position of influence and policy and power.
1: All right, Uh, soccer moms. Oh, my goodness, uh, Leon, I haven't heard that term in a while. But, yes, that was the rage. I can't remember which presidential election it was. It may have been the Clinton years or George Bush. And George Bush, I think, was very He's. – we're getting the soccer moms. They always figure out some, like, segment of, like, the white voter base that they're going to win (laughs) over. And they single it. It's not independent
3: voters. They're just just – Yes, it's the Lee Atwater of politics. I mean, you remember the Republican strategies, Lee Atwater and his Southern, um, his Southern strategy. You can all, and even with even you know, middle class voters are the swing voters. The people that vote right vote right. The people that vote left vote left. The, these election cycles are being dictated by people in the middle, and you know, the Biden administration hasn't delivered them anything, especially yeah. if people like Monroe who are financially secure are feeling peeved by you know rising inflation and prices. What about people that have less needs?
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, people like Monroe who are financially secure. Uh, Monroe, a, a meister and Mastro of the stock market uh, has, is fabulously <laughs> smiling when I say except,
2: that. Except the stock market is disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I've, 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 I've lost in the past three days.
1: (laughs) All right. Nobody wants to hear about your ups and downs uh, (laughs) on the stock market. Uh, All right. Uh, Now let's get to the the issue of rich men, and we're going to have a little discussion of Elon Musk buying uh, Twitter, and that will lead to what I call the Michael Girardi question. I'll get to that in a little bit. So name for uh, a listener, participant on our show, the great Michael Girardi. All right. Um, I'm just in a mixture of awe, and dismay uh, at what Elon Musk has done uh, in the last week or so, Monroe and Lee Allen. He somehow or other put together uh, 45, 46 billion. It seems like the number varies from time to time. Let's just call it 46 billion with a B dollars to acquire Twitter. I'm not quite sure I see the value in terms of financial value in Twitter. I don't see where they're making money, okay? So I think he uh, overpaid for it, yet he got bankers to commit. This gets back to Donald Trump. We were talking about him. They always seem to be able to get bankers to lend them now, money. This
2: is, this, is so, this is mathematics. This is mathematics. All right. He has $240 billion. Yeah. Uh, the rich, he is the uh, the richest man in the world right now except okay. for maybe Putin. But otherwise, he's the richest man in the world. Yeah. That amount of money is not going to keep him up at night, worry about how to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's just money to him. And the the advantage of having money is you can do as you want to, as you please, whatever you want. And so he's decided he wants to have Twitter for, he's, a, he's an oddball to begin with, so we don't know what his thinking on this is. He may not even know what his thinking on it is, but he wants to have it. Now, all of you folks who are upset about a billionaire being able to, to buy such a powerful instrument as Twitter is in social media, it's typical of America. It's a, the American way. The the newspapers, if you go back to early newspapers in America, what, what would happen is people would buy a printing press. People could afford to buy a printing press, would buy a pe- printing press, and they would publish their news, what they wanted out there. Mm-hmm. And this is no different from as it was then, now, except is a lot more expensive and a lot more powerful in the process.
1: Wow, I have a lot of reaction to that one. But, Lee Allen, I'll let you go first. Uh, your thoughts on what Monroe just said uh, and uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. Go.
3: The, the, the most interesting aspect about Twitter is nobody talks about who owned the majority's cares in Twitter before Elon Musk. Do you know who that is, Monroe or Ben? the largest owner in Twitter was prior to Elon Musk,
1: not Jack Dorsey.
3: I want to say it was Saudi Arabia. So, uh, if you take into consideration that the Saudi government just got a huge, Hey, uh, you know, it's, it's like Monroe talked about it. It's capitalism and it's uh capitalism at its finest.
1: All right, listen, hold it. <laughs> Yes, I understand it's capitalism, Uh, and uh, though I am not a uh, a capitalist, I follow the ventures of capitalism, okay, adventures as well as ventures. And I just go back to what I said earlier. Uh, There's a certain amount of irrationality at play. And so, Monroe, you're correct when you say he's fabulously wealthy and $45 billion to him is not what $45 billion is to me or you. Right. Well, maybe to you, uh, right. but not to me. Uh, and uh, just teasing. And uh, I, I'm just astounded that we continue to make the same mistakes with capitalism. And I'll go back to the banks. They're lending him 13 billion dollars, as I understand it. They're putting up 13 billion dollars. That's 13 billion dollars of other people's money that they're putting on the line for this guy's venture. I see no. Just pure capitalism, I don't see where they're going to make the money. No, I, no, 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 they no, gave the, no. It's like lending Trump money no, to build a tower. No, no, no. no, no. He's, he's,
2: the way capitalism works is, okay, he has $240 billion. He He can get people to put up some of that $43 billion or whatever it is, that he's spending for twitter because he has money to cover it he's borrowing against his money and so if um, twitter fails completely whoever whoever uh, gave him money for they can get money from him because he has
1: it i, I personally or, or do why not these believe
2: rich, why these why these 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 rich people aren't paying taxes is because they are they have investments in various things and they borrow against the investments, and so their income is not as great. In fact, they're in debt. This is a game rich people play, play quite well. And that, actually, I'm trying to figure out how to play it myself. <laughs>
3: it's called private equity, Monroe. It's called private equity, and that's basically yeah. the play that he's doing. He's leveraging right. uh, his capital. He's leveraging his capital based on asset value and the growth of that asset over time. So what they're looking at is that Twitter is really a utility at this point in terms of being able to connect 322 million people uh, based on discussion that's transnational. Uh, the funny thing about Elon Musk and his money that he's made, I mean, he, he's basically used Tesla stock. Now, what I've listened to over the, oh, in terms of Tesla, he's not making money on those cars that he's selling. It's funny where his profitability comes from with Tesla. It's not selling those cars. It's the energy tax credits that he's getting for producing those cars that is producing that wealth. So you have to go back to the the policies that are in place that allow him to create the wealth based upon those tax credits where he's making his money. They're actually losing money on the cars. So we the the American taxpayer <laughs> created the scenario. For him to create the wealth that he has to make the play that he has for Twitter, which goes back to electoral politics and what you said, uh, Ben, early in this, this discussion, the chicago decision of politics. And, and listen to this. We forget about the fact, and I want to say John Cass mentioned it, remember Elon was supposed to build a tunnel uh, to go out to O'Hare under the Emanuel administration? What happened to that project?
1: Oh, don't get me started. I wrote about that (laughs) exhaustively for the reader. That project fell apart. That was one of the that was one of the I I began the show. Talk about dumb ideas that mayors come up with. Uh, This is before you were listening, Leon. So it's as though the mayors say, I'm going to come up with a dumb idea. To see if I get the city council to pass it, and to see if the voters will still re-elect me with this dumb idea. That idea fell apart, and this—that was that. I just—it was going to be an express train to, from the loop to O'Hare. Keep in mind, we already have a train that goes from the loop to O'Hare. It's called the Blue Line. Keep in mind, we have taxicabs, we got Lyft, we got Uber. You can get a limousine to go there. You can even ride a bike. I once rode a bike. Okay, to O'Hare. So there's no shortage of, of. Ways of getting to O'Hare. And yet Mayor Rahm, in his infinite wisdom, thought it was the single most important investment we could make for the future of Chicago in terms of public transportation was to build a bullet train to go express from the loop to O'Hare and charge a premium for it. And uh, Musk was going to be the beneficiary. He was going to build it. It went nowhere because they didn't even have a route. Riala Jones. They <laughs> didn't dig. have a
2: route. <laughs> They're going to have to
1: dig. Yeah, remember they said they were going to have to
3: dig? I mean, but the thing is is that when you make statements like that about public projects, you know how it is in Chicago. People will look at those. The unions look at that, saying we're going to be able to get some money. You always There's never short of African-American preachers that you know that want to try to get some of that grab based upon projects. So it's always great. To, to put out those projects because everybody believes that, you know, that there's going to be something in it for them. The, right. the engineering that goes into it. I think you mentioned before, uh, uh, Monroe, I want to say the last show about how, you know, somebody gets made to even do the studies to do the studies before these <laughs> things get implemented. And somebody gets rich just thinking about these things because it's so much money to pass around, uh, you know, for those types of projects. So when we look at Elon Musk, He's somebody that is completely benefited off of the political system and, you know, it's come back to bite them with Twitter. I mean, he used energy policy. Uh, and it's interesting. Our, you know, Congressman Rush was a subcommittee on energy uh, and, and, and Elon Musk has benefited tremendously from that. And yet we don't really know what the return on investment has been for consumers.
1: Yeah. I, I, I got to admit uh, Monroe uh, Lee Allen is singing my song right now. And uh, I'm with you hundred percent Lee Allen. Uh, and so now Eli, and it's so bizarre, and this gets to the inherent contradiction.
2: Right. Remember when Mayor Daly won was gonna build an airport in Lake Michigan?
1: Yes, I re- at Hegwish, yes.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember that. Right. Oh my god. So this goodness. is not new. <laughs>
1: No, I, boondoggles. Okay, now we're talking back to Chicago. But the right. Chicagoization of America is a frightening thing, folks. <laughs> yeah. It is a frightening thing. Okay, uh, and uh, that their whole country uh, is now uh, drinking the Chicago Kool Aid. But yeah, and and this gets to the contradiction, Monroe, that we were talking about earlier. So Elon Musk prides himself as a free market libertarian, you know, who uh, is showing how capitalism works. And as Lee Allen was just pointed out, he's a beneficiary. Of tax breaks uh, that the- so that
2: was a Green Party move on, uh, on, on Musk's part, right, Leanne? <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, you know, it's, when you look
3: at it, I know I was a Green. I can't walk away from it. It's almost looking at like what's going on in Germany right now with the German Green Party. They're the most bellicose party in Germany right now, and they have no energy independence. You know what I mean? So it's like the contradictions when you get to the infrastructure you need to manage society are all contradictory. I mean, so it's like when you get to that level of wealth creation, it is so much inherent contradiction that it it is mind boggling. I mean, for instance, uh, I have a friend that's that's an investor. And so uh, he mentioned to me that he was in Saudi Arabia. So I said, hey, what did you think about the 81 beheadings that happened over there? Because it happened during the time period he was there. He didn't know anything about it. He knew absolutely nothing about the 81 beheadings that happened in Saudi Arabia, Arabia, and he was actually there during the period that it happened. So when we start looking at capitalism and when you start looking at the billions of dollars and capital flows, there's a lot of hypocrisy, there's a lot of inconsistency, and there's a lot of democracy that covers it
1: up. Lee Allen, do you think he didn't know because uh, Saudi Arabia... Covered it up. He was there, you say? Or did he not know one of those he didn't want to know? So he made sure he didn't know. You follow what I'm saying?
3: It, I, I don't. I, I, it's difficult to know. I mean, because when you're in the. You know, right now in Saudi Arabia, they're, they're uh, you know, uh, Muhammad Mohammed bin Salman is making, they're liquidating all of the, uh, the, 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 the princes and things like that because they're trying to make a conversion, I think, which is another discussion that we talked about last time with the decoupling of the U.S. dollar. And I think that's something that Monroe and a lot of people should be worried about because everybody's investments are in dollars. And if the dollar... Uh, does not have that, 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 that petrol dollar associated with it. You're talking about inflation that will make the set, you know, make the Jimmy Carter era, uh, you know, look like the Obama era.
1: Okay. All right. Before we go down that road, Monroe, I want to bring it back to uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. Uh, So I'm going to go start with you, Monroe. Uh, It's a bizarre little political equation, the way it's being played out. Republicans are cheering him on uh, and uh, Democrats are uh, expressing concern. I have my position on, but I want to hear yours. Uh, Do you think Elon Musk uh, uh, taking control of Twitter will benefit the Republican party? Go.
2: I uh, I don't think so. We we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But um one of two things is, is going to happen. First of all, he may mismanage it. And and we may not have Twitter by this time next year. Uh be, be, because he screws it up so badly. You know, cuz being as you know, being in business and being in the media Two different things. It requires two different talents. And secondly, he may. So the reason the right wingers are cheering him on is they think he's going to bring Trump back. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's all about. Yeah. it's all said and done, is that Trump is off Twitter. And I mean, had Twitter not kicked Trump off, then um, we the, the January six panel wouldn't have been able to do the things they're able to do. Because Trump would have pounded them day in and day out, like the Russians are hitting the Ukraine. Uh, but because he's he's not had that voice on Twitter to lie really bigly, then we've we've gotten some progress. in what actually happened when when we get when 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 when, when, when Musk takes over Twitter, um, he may. There's no no guarantee that he's really going to let Trump back on. I mean, if it was a done deal, Trump would have admitted that. Trump's position right now is he doesn't want to be on Twitter anyway.
1: Yeah, well, that's his position. Yeah, okay, exactly. because
2: uh, he has his own thing that's failing miserably <laughs> as well as Trump's Trump tr- <laughs> Trump's Trump all the other fails. I would do Trump Monopoly. You know. <laughs>
1: No, man, Trump is it's such a joke. Here's a further joke of the Chicagoization of the American voter. Uh, Donald Trump may be the worst businessman of his generation, and yet he uh, many people voted for him because they wanted a uh, quote unquote smart businessman running the country like it was a business. The guy is a salesman and so is Musk, by the way, two brilliant salesmen. Right. All right. Lee Allen, uh, do you uh, what's your thoughts about the political real uh, consequences of Elon Musk uh, taking control of Twitter?
3: Like I said before, to go back to the Obama era that was supposed to be the nadir of integrating, you know, technology and further expanding democracy, and to see where we're at right now is is, is pretty remarkable. So to think about where it can potentially go now that we know that that phenomenon of social media and politics now has been weaponized within the political process. I don't necessarily, I I don't want to pretend to predict what the impact can be, but I know that it's going to be transformational.
1: Yeah. And uh, my guess is he's going to use it to protect his financial interests, uh, which means more inequity, uh, which fits in well with the Republican party. All right. uh, Any discussion of wealth, any discussion of billionaires, any discussion of uh, Elon Musk and people like him uh, brings me to what I now call the Michael Girardi question. I'm going to pose it uh, to Lee Allen first uh, and then Monroe second. And uh, so Michael Girardi uh, is a good friend of the show. He's a great rock and roll guitarist. Uh, He's a great satirist. He's written uh, many uh, outstanding uh, rock songs, got a stinging guitar, uh, similar to Neil Young. He's written many rock songs, uh, denouncing the way businesses uh, operate here in the city of Chicago. Uh, He weighed in. He sent me a text this week. Uh, last week, uh, Lee Allen, I uh, had two leftists on. I have leftists on pretty much every week. Uh, I call this lefty land. But in particular, Mike Eucrit, who is a writer for Jacobin Magazine, maybe an old friend of yours, Lee Allen, uh, and Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, who is the uh, Democratic Socialist, Uh, from 35th Ward, Uh, and each of them was talking about taxing uh, wealthy people to finance things like mental health services, et cetera. Uh, And uh, Michael responded, Uh, I read and love Micah's books, and Carlos is probably my favorite politician in the state of Illinois. But these guys are bumming me out. It's like that time I attended a DSA meeting about democratizing ComEd, and the presenter said, we want public utilities to be owned by the government instead of corporations to eliminate corruption. And I laughed out loud, and a couple of people shot me some looks. Am I on the same planet as these people most people think that there's nothing wrong with rich people making money that they deserve their wealth and that it's really hard to justify taking it any taking any of it from them for redistribution and these guys are like but well, we can use that money to provide things for everyone And right there, it's over. They lost because what right do you have to touch someone else's money? But if you can say you deserve your money because you earned it by working, these wealthy folks don't make money that way. They make it off your backs by owning all the companies where you work. They pretend to work, but they make money while they golf and while they sleep. You'd be rich, too, if you had that money they invested in. But you don't. Working for them is only your only option. All right. Uh, he admitted it was a rant, uh, but his basic point is that you will not win elections uh, by appealing to taxing uh, rich uh, people. And that while you do that, the, um, the Republicans will uh, be winning over the what is it, uh, lower class, the, the, the working poor uh, will be wooed by far right wing nationalists. Lee Allen, your thoughts on Michael Girardi's opinion.
3: You know, what makes it difficult when we talk about wealth creation is that really working people fund wealth creation because usually wealthy people go to where there's pools of money to invest. And usually the pools of money to invest come from pension funds. They come from unions. They come from working class people. So when we look at the state of Illinois, who's on the pension fund board to invest that money? When we look at the city of Chicago, when we look at the county, we, you know, and I think that's one of the sad testaments of Chicago when you look at, you know, the marginalized communities is that when they talk about getting access, they talk about government spending money. You never hear them say we want people on those pension fund boards to be able to dictate where this money should go. Where's all of that money in the firefighters fund going? Where's all of that police pension money going? Those are the institutions that control the capital that the billionaires go and get access to, to create wealth creation. So it's it's really incumbent on people to understand where wealth creation starts from. It often starts with the government, either through fiscal policy, or monetary policy. Uh, Right now, they're gonna be raising interest rates with Jerome Powell. I can beckon you right now, you can go to most politicians in Chicago City Council and they can't tell you the name of the Chairman of the Federal Reserve. They can't tell you who the Secretary of the Treasury is, and this is a Democratic administration. Right. This is a Democratic administration. And when we start talking about pension fund boards, you can't get them to commit who should be on those things and who can make money. We always want to hear about John Rogers. We always want to hear about uh, what's the other guy, uh, John Rogers and uh, Jim Reynolds. You know how many other uh, you know, pension fund investors there are in the world? We talk about three. And I think when we, when we, we want to talk about billionaires and I don't I mean, I worked in private equity. And I've been at the table with a lot of these people. These people are really common sense people that have historical knowledge of market activity. So they're really taking institutional knowledge and transferring it to investment cycles and creating wealth It's difficult. So when we look at the city of Chicago, look at the story that came out uh, about, you know, Walter Burnett and look at the wealth that's been created and his war, Right. When he could have fought for affordable housing, it's easy to buy these people because you can buy them for pennies on the dollar. I mean, you can buy just about any politician in the city of Chicago for a couple hundred thousand dollars to make hundreds of millions of dollars. And we have, a, you know, the chicago of politics and the chicago of finance. So if you want to tackle wealth creation, let's go talk about who's on those pension fund boards and what their commitment is to social equity.
1: I'm with you 100% on that one, Lee. Lee Allen's been singing my songs uh, today, big time. Uh, I'll read this other part of Michael's uh, uh, message to me, Monroe, and then get you to respond to it. Blah, blah, tax the rich, blah, blah, universal benefits for all, blah, blah, public this, public that, blah, blah. Give it a rest, lefties. It's over. Nobody cares about taxing the rich because nobody likes taxes. Nobody wants to increase government spending for their own benefit because nobody likes the government. Upper middle class college graduates are the base of center-left parties all over the world, while the poor and working class are being wooed by far Right wing nationalists. The only hope is the U.S. is a bottom up insurgent labor organizing phenomenon. Monroe Anderson, do you agree with Michael Girardi?
2: I have some, some somewhat, but not a lot. Uh, And and before I I go into this, uh, I want to point out that one of Lee Allen's many experiences, life experiences, was he was an intern on Wall Street at one point. So So he knows it inside and out, uh, being also a protester, an anti-wealth person. But what's wrong, and I, I think I've said this on your show before, is that the fall of communism hurt us because communism always put the capitalists in check. When they became too extreme, too greedy, the cap the communists would point that out, and they'd have to pull back, uh, as to not prove their point. Uh, now that even China, China is a capitalist country, sort of. It's um, and 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 Russia is a a thug country, and now a Putin country. So there's been no one in. Thirty years to really put guardrails around the capitalists, and so they're running buck wild. Uh, but but it's not the, the poor people aren't all. This is poor white people mainly turning to these extreme groups uh, because you have a whole po- po- poor people's movement going on right now in the black and, and among black Americans. So it's not that everybody. Is, is 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 turning to uh, t- to extreme right wing groups? Yeah.
1: No, I hear you, uh, Monroe. You you put you hit it on the head, and I'll close by. Uh, I've told you this, Monroe, so many times. My a moment of awakening for me, and I was so naive when I moved to Chicago. I grew up in Evanston, uh, a very sheltered middle class suburb. And so Lee Allen, uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me to move to the city of Chicago and see how it's run. And I remember uh, when the, 80, the outside of the 83 election against when uh, Harold Washington had emerged uh, as the Democratic candidate and up against Bernie Epson, a Republican, and there was an outpouring of opposition to Harold Washington from the police. And I happened to be standing at City Hall one day next to a black man. Uh, we were chatting this and that, and the other thing he told me he was a police officer. And I said, oh, well, you must be for Bernie Epton because you're a police officer. And everybody, every cop I know, I our office at the time, I worked for the, uh, the Chicago Reporter, and our office was uh, right next to Epton headquarters. And there were cops going in constantly. And he looked at me, like I was (laughs) the complete idiot that I was being from a sheltered middle class existence from Evanston. And he told me, no, those are the white cops. Right. Exactly. I'm like, wait a minute. Aren't you all cops? You tell me there's a difference between a black cop and a white cop. And he's like, duh, where are you from? I go Evanston. (laughs) So you're right, Monroe. You know, you're right. In fact, if you have Frank Lee on next week, he will be. Well, I'm going to reach out to him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That will be a good topic of discussion for him.
1: I I will. Frank Lee was a Harold Washington security guard, uh, Chicago police officer, a good friend of Monroe's. And uh, well, I'm definitely going to reach out to him, ladies and gentlemen, and bring him on and be a delightful conversation. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you the uh, floor for any final thoughts you want to make about Michael Girardi's uh, comments.
3: I mean, going back to what Monroe said about being an intern, it's funny. Uh, I, the, the, where I interned at was a major bank. So when you, when I look back and that was what, 2003, 2004, looking at a lot of the people that I came through with, it was an international consortium of people and what they did in investment banking. So now, looking at that class, and, and actually understanding the back end, of wealth, you can create just about what you want to if you take the initiative to understand where these pools of capital are, and you can, you know, and you have a good investment thesis going behind it. That's why, I mean, you talk about the Harold Washington administration. I think, you know, from a political perspective, we worry about who wins as opposed to who takes over the institutions, and I think that's where we have to get more to if we want to get more social equity is getting people to be in position in these institutions where these pools of capitals are to open up those opportunities for wealth creation. And so if we want more uh, capitals to flow in marginalized communities, you have to have people that come from those backgrounds that are willing to see a risk and being able to associate that risk with an opportunity and price it the right way so you can get value creation. I mean, look at what's going to happen with the real estate in Chicago. Look at these development projects, the seventy-eight. Uh, what's the other project you were talking about up there on the north side? Lincoln uh, Yards.
1: Lincoln Lincoln
3: Yards. These are billion-dollar projects that are being funded by institutional investors. And one of the largest institutional investors in Chicago is the University of Chicago. They have $14 billion of investment grade capital. $14 billion the University of Chicago has, and that money is being invested, and it's going to change the landscape of Chicago. And yet we don't have anybody... Uh, that we know, uh, maybe we do know them, but they're not accountable to the people when it comes to investing those resources to make sure that Chicago stays equity, you know, opportunity for everybody as opposed to taking advantage of the politics that they control to be able to come, you know, get these uh, assets at very cheap prices. And then we're going to look up and they're going to create another generation of wealth. And, you know, my grandkids will be talking about this stuff and we'll, you know, people will just still be working class.
1: OK, I, your grandkids will be paying it because let me just close by yes. saying both of those two projects are funded to a our proposed. Well, one Lincoln Yards is already being funded by taxpayers that you, you, the taxpayer of city of Chicago with that change hey- money. With, With TIF money. money's property tax dollars, ladies and gentlemen, that's all it is. Your property tax dollars are subsidizing the development and an already gentrifying neighborhood. Speaking of dumb ideas, close where we began. Dumb ideas uh, that mayors proposed and got the city council to pass and say it was good for you. All right, Lee Allen Jones, thank you very much. Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. We've run out of time. Uh, it was always a spirited conversation with the two of you. And yes, next week I'm going to do my best to bring Frank Lee on. it would be a fascinating conversation. Monroe, as dear friend, Frank Lee, we on, and uh, former, uh, bodyguard to Harold Washington. So I want to thank and you we'll, both. And,
2: and we'll see how my my um, hide-o, hideout.
1: Oh, yeah. Please be safe. Tonight. Hey, Ben, Ben. Yes. And
3: we didn't say anything about the draft. I mean, I'm excited about the NFL draft tomorrow uh, in the weekend. So we're, we're at that part of the year, too.
1: We may have to do a Bears segment for next week. Uh, Leon Jones, also, he comes on the show as sort of a lefty libertarian, but uh, he's also a football coach, really knows football really well. Uh, so we may have to do a Bears uh, and NFL draft uh, show for next week because somehow or other, Lee Allen, I remain a Bears fan. I need my— I'm- So do I. So
3: do I. So do <laughs> I. I'm a Cubs fan, too,
1: so I, I'm, I'm with you and my beloved Chicago Bulls tonight. You watch, ladies and gentlemen. They will stun the world by uh, defeating <laughs> No,
3: by losing. I told you that. Levine. <laughs> Levine is like a Kenwood basketball player from the 1980s. He should not be paid matching payments.
1: Wow. There we go. Damn. (laughs) Oh, my God. Zach. uh, Zach Levine, let me just tell you the views and opinions of Lee Allen Jones do not necessarily reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky show.
3: He's a Kenwood basketball who fades away from the three pointer consistently every game when you should be hitting the lane and dishing the ball. Get rid of him. Let IO and uh, Kobe White be
1: great here. All right, and by the way, you can start by uh, Iowa Kobe White. If you want to be great, start tonight because Zach Levine won't be there. So show Lee Allen Jones what you have tonight. And you too, Patrick That's exactly Williams.
3: what I want to see. Yes. That's exactly what I want to see the young boys.
1: Yes. Let's see you young fellas. Uh, uh, Io from Morgan Park High School. All right. Very good. Monroe Anderson, Lee Allen Jones. Thank you very much. I Also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Lee Allen Jones, Monroe Anderson, Kobe White, Zach Levine, and Patrick Williams will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for marvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thank you.